Welcome to the Million Praying Moms podcast, where we have conversations about prayer and motherhood for today's Christian mom. I'm your host, Brooke McLaughlin, an author, speaker, teacher, and small town girl from the mountains of Appalachia. Over the years, I've had the privilege of encouraging countless moms toward a richer prayer life, helping them catch a vision for the partnership God invites them into as they become praying moms. It's the combination of the two that makes this podcast different. Not just motherhood, not just prayer, both. Prayer is one of the most overlooked parts of Christian parenting today. And because of that, my goal is to help you see it not as a last resort, but as your first and best response. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. This is Brooke McLaughlin, your host. And today it is my extreme privilege to bring you a special bonus season where we're going to deep dive into parenting boys and girls who resemble Jesus. Now, I have to tell you, this was an unplanned season. At the end of 2021, I spent hours planning out every single season and every single episode of this podcast for the year 2022. But when I saw this opportunity, I knew I had to make room for it. Because we are still building out Patreon support to reach a production budget large enough for weekly episodes, I shifted things around and moved some of the episodes I had planned for this year until next year. That's how important I think this conversation is going to be. My goal for this season is to shake off habits or beliefs in the Christian parenting world that aren't biblical and replace them with a gospel-centered look at what the Bible has to say about understanding the genders and parenting both genders to look like Jesus. Years ago, when I was fresh out of grad school, I was introduced to Elise Fitzpatrick's writing. Her distinctly gospel-centered approach to understanding the human heart was compelling and new and fresh to me. So I read almost everything of hers I could get my hands on. Soon after I had children, she released one of my all-time favorite parenting books, co-written with her daughter, Jessica Thompson, called Give Them Grace, Dazzling Your Kids with the Love of Jesus, and it remains at the top of my parenting books list. It literally rearranged everything I thought I knew about biblical parenting. So when Elise and Eric Shoemaker released their newest book, Jesus and Gender, and their publisher sent me a copy, I immediately dove in. Imagine my delight to realize that there was an entire chapter in Jesus and Gender about parenting boys and girls who resemble or look like Jesus. I jumped on this, and I invited them both to join me for what I believe might be one of the most important seasons we've had recently on the Million Praying Moms podcast. Now, you might be asking yourself, what does a book about gender understanding what the Bible has to say about men and about women and how to live correctly as sisters and brothers in Christ have to do with parenting. And my response would be everything. The church is struggling with this topic today, and it has been for a while. What we believe the Bible says about men and women affects how we view and teach our boys and girls while they're in our homes. And friends, I believe we're getting some things wrong. And let me be clear and say, I think I've probably gotten some things wrong. Thankfully, Elise and Eric are here to help us think through things deeply and more biblically, and I think you're going to love them both. 
the conversation I had with Elise and Eric was so good, so rich, and so deep that we went way over on our time. So I decided to break it up into two episodes, the first of which you're hearing today. Do not make the mistake, please, friends, do not make the mistake of only listening to one episode. Make plans for both. If you love these episodes, and I think you will, and want me to be able to offer more like them, consider becoming a part of the Million Praying Moms Patreon community for just $5 a month or get one month free when you commit to the whole year. You'll automatically have an almost unlimited library of prayer resources at your fingertips, prayer calendars, topical prayer guides, a blank prayer journal, and more. Just visit our show notes for today at millionprayingmoms.com to learn more. Now, on with the first episode of this special bonus season. Well, welcome to the Million Praying Moms podcast, Elise and Eric. I would love it if you'd take just a moment to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your families, and your ministry. Thank you. Thanks, Brooke. Um, I was raised in Southern California pretty much by a, a single mom. And we, although from time to time we would go to the Lutheran church, we were not like what you would call a Christian family. And then um, right before my 21st birthday, uh, a friend whom I had moved in next door to came over and started talking to me about Jesus And that was a good thing because had she not done that, I probably would not have made it through the next couple of years. I was involved in some pretty um, destructive behaviors. And yeah, so that was 1971, right at the height of the Jesus movement in Southern California. And so then I went to Bible college because I thought that was what you were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I eventually married. Phil and I have been married now for, uh, we're coming up on 48 years. We have three kids, one of whom I brought into the marriage with me. And I have six grandkids. And so I'm still in Southern California. I don't suppose you're going to get me out of here. And uh <laughs> And uh, yeah, the the Lord's been very kind to use the brokenness in my life um, and also the many blessings that he's given me uh, to serve him. So I'm just thankful to be with you today, Brooke, and to talk about this important subject with your listeners. I'm so glad to have you, Elise. Eric, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, thanks, Brooke. It's uh, like Elise said, it's good to be here with you. We really appreciate the the invite and the chance to spend some time with your listeners. I was born and raised in Iowa, and it was after the peak of the Jesus People movement. I was going to comment on how I wasn't born at that time, but, uh, you know, whatever. Most people weren't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the world was in color by this time when I was when I was born. Uh so I no, I was raised uh, in a small town, Iowa, about a thousand people. Uh, my mom and dad took us to a Lutheran church uh, every Sunday and Sunday school. You know, we were a faithfully mm-hmm. attending family. If I was spending the night at our friends, I was the kid that got picked up to be taken to church on Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
I passed catechism and uh well i passed catechism too oh well there you go i wasn't i wasn't trying to throw shade at you i am in good company maybe you failed (laughs) so i you know my my relationship to jesus was fairly service level and superficial became more interested about it in high school and Went off to college at the University of Northern Iowa and got involved in a campus ministry. There were some guys that kept, they would call me just about every weekend to bug me to see if I would go to church with them. And since I'm from Iowa, um, we can't like disappoint anybody. So I always said, yes, I would go. And then I just didn't show up at the pickup location on Sunday morning. Uh, (laughs) But I... I did. Uh, I did go to their Bible study and uh, started getting involved in their campus ministry. And eventually, you know, the gospel became really, it really grabbed me, and uh, Christ grabbed a hold of me and started studying the Bible and learning more about the faith and embracing it as my own. Uh, went off to seminary. Uh, I guess uh, I should back up a little bit. I got married before my senior year of college. And then went off to seminary. It's always important to find someone who can work and pay your tuition while you're yes. in seminary. And so this is why I know so much about the value of women. Um, uh, so anyway, no, uh, we went to seminary and I told Jenny, I said, hey, if you're willing to uh, work while I'm in seminary, because she, she, her heart was set on being a mom and raising kids. And uh, that was her passion. And said, if you'll work while we're in seminary, then you don't have to have a job unless you want to, like, un- unless something tragically goes wrong with my ability to earn income, which is always a possibility. But she, uh, she was due uh, just a few days after my last class. I didn't even <laughs> have a job yet, but she took me at my word. And we moved back to Iowa. And I, I've been pastoring ever since 2002. It was a a solo pastor most of the first 12 years. And then I'm an associate pastor now where I lead worship and counsel and do whatever needs done. And um, Jenny and I, our kids are, now we have a freshman in college and our youngest is 10. And I met this crazy woman on the internet named Elise. And so (laughs) we've been writing books and uh, hosting a podcast and, and she's been a great blessing to me. Yeah, at least you've been a great blessing to a lot of people. And um, so I'm going to start with you because you're the first person that I knew of the two of you. And I know, Eric, because I've listened to you guys on a lot of podcasts that that is that is not an uncommon story. Not at all. I was just looking Jesus and gender up at our public library and they only have a lease listed as the author. And this is our this is my the town I live in. So. You know, no honor in the town you're from, right? I mean, no, yeah, you're so biblical. You're just town. like Jesus. You're yeah. so Christic. Yeah, yes. I wanted you to have all the honor. Yes, I love well, that. You know what that means. This yeah. is part of why I like you guys. I love your banter back and forth. It's so much fun. So, Elise, <laughs> let's start with you a little bit. And I will say that I have been reading your books for probably close to 15 years or so. Hmm. Um, I have a master's in counseling from Liberty University. And when I got out of school and into the real world, I found myself craving more knowledge of what the Bible has to say about the human heart. And I think maybe the first place I was trying to remember earlier today, I think maybe the first place that I intersected with your writing was through the Christian Counseling and Education Mm -hmm. Foundation. Like I found you through them. 
And I was instantly drawn to your heart level, gospel centered approach. It's just really what I needed in in that Mm -hmm. time. And I think most people need, I know there's a lot of water under the bridge since those days for you, but I wondered if you could kick us off today by explaining why it's so important to approach not just parenting, but all of the Christian life from a gospel centered perspective. And as a follow-up to that, what difference does this make in the practical outworking of Christian parenting? Yeah, thank you. And thank you for those kind words. Um, as you know, you you send your work off into the world and you never know, is anything going to come of it? So it's it's very encouraging to me, Brooke, to hear that. Mm-hmm. So why should we do everything in light of the gospel? Well. If if we don't, if Jesus Christ and his work in the incarnation, in his sinless life, in his substitutionary death, in his bodily resurrection, and in his ascension, if that is not the thing that sort of gets us up in the morning and keeps us going all day, then what happens is we fall into a pattern of thinking that somehow we got to work it out. Everything depends on us. Everything depends on me doing my list. (laughs) You know, you got to have the list. And, and it's, and it's that um, I can't approve of myself. If my list is not done, I want to lay down in in my bed at night and say, my, what a good girl am I? Mm -hmm. And then also I feel like nobody else can approve of me unless I get my list done, whatever. And particularly in parenting, if I don't know that God is the one who uh, oversees my life and loves me and has given me forgiveness for all of the ways in which I've blown it as a parent, if I don't live in that, then I'm going to be afraid. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to always be trying to prove, for me, it was always trying to prove that I'm better than my mom, (laughs) you know? And so when my kids weren't responding the way I wanted them to respond, well, then, of course, I was angry with them, but I'm also feeling very, um, like, insecure, I, I, I'm really not a good parent. I can't and be a good parent. And then I would ride my kids all the more. Mm-hmm. So at least when I hear you talk about that, and as I have tried to process what the gospel actually, you know, what influence it has and why it's so important. One of the things that I think it does is that it keeps me from thinking the world revolves around me. Yeah. And it, it, it enables me to constantly remind myself that, Jesus is the center of how I see the world around me. A friend of mine, and I I don't know if he got this somewhere, so I'm not saying that he gets the credit for it, but a friend of mine several years ago introduced me to the idea of gospeling yourself. Yeah. And, And I thought, well, it's just such a powerful way to think about it. Like every day in every situation, how does the gospel apply? How does the gospel affect the way that I am seeing the world around me and interacting with the world around me. And I think it's it's important for us in every aspect of life, not just in parenting, but it's important to establish that because in your all's book, Jesus and Gender, 
you're really looking at the issue of gender through the lens of the gospel, which is kind of a missing piece. It's kind of a something that hasn't necessarily been done before. And I'd like to talk just a little bit about that book, well, a lot about that book today, because I think there's so much great stuff in there. To be fair, the book goes way beyond parenting, but there is one chapter, chapter nine, that ch- that talks specifically about that. And so we're going to unpack some of that today and, and over um, the course of, of our time together. On page 155 of Jesus and Gender, you say, way too much of what passes for quote unquote Christian parenting isn't Christian at all. And I thought that was incredibly intriguing and should give most Christian parents pause. And so I want to ask you, what does that look like specifically? And what as a culture have we believed or embraced as Christian parenting that probably has nothing to do with Christ? So um, I'll, I'll take that. A number of years ago, a study was done, the study of youth and religion in America, something like that. And Christian Smith, who is a sociologist, I think he's at Yale, he did this study and he interviewed, let's say, 3,000 young people, high schoolers, and said, you know, asked them people who identified as religious, and he asked them, what does your religion mean to, mean to you? What, what is Christianity? And he came away from that study with three words. And the three words, and I'm going to define them, but the three words are moralistic, therapeutic deism. And what that means is that what these kids think Christianity is, is be good so you can feel good about yourself, And then God will give you goodness. And that perspective on the gospel is so weak. And again, as Brooke, as you were saying, it's all about you and what you've done and trying to, you know, get your kids to be more like you. And, you know, I've I've just thought about so much of what we say to our kids is kind of like be nice. Mm-hmm. be polite. And I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't tell our kids to be nice and polite, but that's not Christianity. You know, vote a certain way, mm-hmm. be that sort of a person. Sure. Talk to your kids about, you know, how to behave in the culture. Fine. But that's not Christianity. Brooke, I am not going to go to the Coliseum and give my life mm-hmm. For a message that just says, be nice. Yeah. You can take that. But if you want to talk to me about God, who became man, who lived a perfect life in my place and died for all of the ways that I've messed up for all of my sins, if, if for him, I'll die for him. I, assuming <laughs> it's easy to say that right, right now right but i you know i i for that that's something worth living for brooke mm-hmm. and all of this other stuff you know like be a pretty little girl be a be a good baseball player little boy mm-hmm. i love sports and kids and all of that but that's not the gospel mm-hmm. and boy have we blown it yeah 
And I'm going to give you one statistic just on that. At least 60%. This is the best statistic. At least 60% of young people, of people who grow up in Christian homes, leave the faith when they leave their home. Yeah, that's so frightening. And I think I, I will say that that's part of the reason. I think there's probably many variables in that equation that are getting us to that outcome. One of them is one big one, certainly, is that we are not, um, you know, we are doing what you have just been describing, which is teaching our children how to be kind and and moral, which is not wrong. We do want to raise kind and moral kids, but we have not been teaching them the gospel. We've been teaching them kindness and morality as the gospel instead of the gospel as the gospel. Um, But that's an important issue to me because I really believe that prayer is also one of the missing pieces of that. Um, In fact, one of the reasons that I wrote my latest book, Praying Mom, was because I have this secret hope that encouraging moms and dads to pray will help turn that statistic around. I think prayer is one of the most overlooked parts of of Christian parenting today. That's why we have this great So I think, you know, as we unpack what those individual variables are, then we're empowering ourselves as parents to try and make a difference in that area. And it's it's scary as as a mom that has two teenage boys in my home. We are reaching the time when they are soon going to be out on their own and individualizing and, and trying to figure out, you know, they're already trying to figure out what they believe and what is theirs and what is mine and, and what is their dad's and that kind of thing. So I think it's really important for us to know the difference between what is the gospel um, as we're teaching it to our kids and what is not. That's so good. Eric, do you have anything to add to that? I I would just echo what Elise said. You know, when we think about Christian parenting and we ask, what does it mean to be a Christian parent? Um, the first question that should come to mind is, what does it mean to be a Christian? And Paul says, you know, I taught to you what was of first importance, that Christ was crucified for sins. He died for sins, according to the scriptures, and he was raised from the dead, according to the scriptures. And if you don't have that message uh, central to what you're teaching and talking about in any field, it's not Christian. You can preach sermons out of the Bible and have them not be Christian uh, because they don't center around the center of the Bible, which is God's revelation of himself and his salvation of us in in Christ's death for our sins and resurrection from the dead. And and I think that means, you know, and this goes along with your emphasis on prayer, which is so right. If parenting is something that we can do in the flesh and is behaviors that we can mold in the flesh, then we don't need the power of the gospel and we don't need to pray because we don't really need God's help. We just need his advice. That is so good. I've often said that I would have categorized and still categorize my boys, but especially when they were little, um, our audience will recognize that I often call them those boys. They're the ones that are 250% boy. They're loud and aggressive and impulsive and just generally left me at the end of my rope most of the time. I was exhausted from them most of the time. I, I was surrounded by boys growing up, but they, you know, they were different. Raising them is, is a little bit different. And I have said before that I I found myself in this struggle place where I could have forced them to behave and obey me. But what I really wanted to do was reach their hearts because that is the place where real change happens. 
And it was an epiphany for me early on in my parenting that God is the one who changes hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, right? Like that was a big deal. That was a huge, a huge light bulb moment for, for me that God was the one that did that and that I was able to partner with him in that. But ultimately that part was up to him. And so, yeah, th- this, is a, this is just great conversation. I think it's so important that we look at these things. So let's, let's look a little bit now at some of the differences between the way that boys and girls were raised and understood in the Old Testament versus how they can be understood in light of the New Testament. On pages 158 and 159, you talk about the Old Testament process of parents training men toward the role that men had in that time, and then women toward the role that women had in that time. And then you say this, all of this changed when the covenant sign of circumcision was replaced by the covenant sign of baptism. So my question for you is, what is the difference between Old Testament gender roles and New Testament gender roles? And what are some of the erroneous ways that we've allowed Old Testament training of children to invade our New Testament freedom in Christ? That's um, that's such a good question, Brooke. And, and again, I think it's one of those places where um, we really, we really miss it. Um, all right. So Old Testament, uh, family, little boy is born within a week or so of his birth. He is taken to the rabbi or the synagogue or the temple and he's circumcised, which is uh, the sign of God's covenant with that family, with that child. So that boy would know um, from his earliest awareness that there was something different about him than the other nations around. And that his in his body, he bore the uh, like a tattoo, call it a tattoo, mm-hmm. this tattoo that says, God, I belong to God, and God is my God. Okay. That was for the boys, but there wasn't one for the girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what that meant was that little girls, their primary goal would be to be the sort of, be, become the sort of woman who would have uh, a husband who, and by her relationship with him, uh, she would know, she would be assured of her inclusion in that special family. Okay, so you've got this special family. And so the girl, what she knows is, is that her identity is defined by her relationship with a circumcised male, her father, her husband, her brothers, her sons. She's part of the family. She doesn't bear it in her body. They do. Okay. And so what that meant, at least in part, was that her whole focus of her life would be to get married and have sons. 
part of that has to do with fulfilling the wonderful promise that that is given in Genesis 3, that there would be a redeemer. So part of that has to do with that. But, you know, I, aside from her relationship with a, a father or a husband or a brother or a son who was circumcised, she didn't have a lot of identity outside of that. Then the most shocking thing happens. <laughs> we come to the New Testament. And what is what happens in the New Testament is that the sign of inclusion in the family changes. And it's no longer circumcision. Now it's baptism. But what's really mind-blowing is that women bear the sign too. Mm -hmm. So women are welcomed to the waters of baptism, however you want to do it. That's not our discussion. <laughs> right. Women are welcome to the waters of baptism. And as a matter of fact, the first person who was baptized in Europe was a woman. <laughs> I mean, it's got to say something. Okay. Yeah. Now, why is, why is that important? That's important because it changes then the focus of a woman's life, her identity, little girls. Now, in the Old Testament, we're always hearing about how the women were very beautiful. This woman was very beautiful. This woman wasn't so beautiful. Okay, that kind of thing. In the New Testament, we don't hear about it at all. You know why? Because it doesn't matter anymore. Right. Because now we bear the sign of the covenant as we're baptized and we're in relationship to a male that's really important. <laughs> the male who's really important that we're in relationship with is Jesus, who is the circumcised, baptized, our husband now. Okay. And so what that means now is that we don't have to tell girls, your whole goal in life is to get married and have babies. Listen, if you want to do that, wonderful. That's not the whole goal. The goal now is the Great Commission, which is go into all the nations and make disciples, preach the gospel and make disciples. And that's the change. And I personally think that it's like a Copernican revolution. It's just like, wait, what just happened? Yeah. There the sign? But somehow I think we're so used to it, we don't see it, but they would have seen it. Mm -hmm. I love that. I feel like th those words are just life-giving. They're life-giving as females, especially for females in our culture today who, you know, while we don't see that message in the Bible, we do sure see that message everywhere else, that what you look like matters more than most anything else. And so, gosh, I, I just think those words are so freeing and so important. And it's not that there's anything wrong with having a desire. Eric, like you said, your wife did. She Her passion was to be a stay-at-home mom. And that is not wrong. It wasn't wrong in the Old Testament. It's not wrong in the New Testament. It's not wrong if God gives you that. But it is also not wrong to understand that, that in actuality, your first mission as a female or a male, and and I think it's important to say 
your your children's first mission as a female and a male and what you teach them about their first mission is to bring glory to God in whatever way he asks you to do that. And for some, it may be to get married and have a family. And for some, it may not be. And I think we as Christians need to be okay with that and look at what we've been telling our children their role should be versus what is actually in the scriptures for us as New Testament Christians. Eric, what would you add to that? I I think, you know, what that new covenant sign of baptism illustrates so well is 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 the glory of the relationship that we have with our redeemer. You know, in the in the Old Testament, how how did the nation of Israel in the Old Covenant inherit God's promises? His his promise was physical. It was a land where they would be blessed and that land was apportioned out according to tribes and clans and that went down that inheritance went down uh, basically through the men in that family. And so in, in some sense, the woman didn't need a sign because she needed to be attached to a man who had the inheritance, uh, whether that was her father or her husband. And now um, it doesn't even matter what lineage you come from at all. Uh, a lineage is no advantage. And beyond the lineage of Christ in the New Testament, we lineages aren't present and they don't matter. Because now uh, the son has arrived, the bridegroom has arrived, and we don't enter into the people of God, you know, uh, through our parents or through our spouse. We enter individually by being born again. And through faith, we're united with Christ. And we're actually conferred this idea of sonship. We become inheritors in our own right because we know Jesus and that's just such a a glorious and freeing thing you may you may be born into a family or you may not even know your family uh you have no means in the world there is nobody to help you to aid you to partner with you uh you are absolutely considered a nobody and now through the ministry of the gospel you are uh, united with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and you're called his bride, and you're called the son of the Father, and you inherit all things with Jesus. And, you know, I think of that as that speaks to parenting, it can be very tempting to ingrain into our kids that you need to carry on the family name or the family legacy in a way that honors the family. You know, everybody in this family uh, is really good at basketball. And so if you're going to be a member of this family, you better love basketball and you're going to go into banking because we come from four generations of bankers and that's just who we are. And if you want to get along in this family, you need to learn to dress this way, to speak this way, to excel in these areas of the world. And if that's the way we're raising our kids, we are really failing them in a lot of ways because to, we're not to raise them in the fear and admonition of my family name. We're to raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, who is Jesus, and to teach them that the best legacy they can have is to be a brother of the King through faith in him. Hey friends, I know you're enjoying this episode. It really challenged me to look at some things differently in my own parenting. 
In fact, Elise and Eric had so many good things to say that we went over on time and I had to cut the interview into two parts. So come back tomorrow to hear the rest of our conversation about parenting boys and girls who resemble Jesus. Till then, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of Million Praying Moms. You can connect with other praying women by following us on Instagram at Million Praying Moms, or by visiting our website where you'll find tools to guide you as a praying mom, like our monthly scripture-inspired prayer calendars. Yours for only $5 a month when you become a patron of Million Praying Moms. If you love this podcast and want to be a part of making sure it sticks around and reaches other moms with the message that prayer is not a last resort, but the first and best response to motherhood, consider joining our Patreon family. There are options for everyone, including our $5 a month prayer calendar option, perfect for both the beginner and seasoned praying mom who wants to pray God's word for her children. Depending upon your needs, you can get access to our classes, courses, podcast scripts, discussion questions for each podcast, and even vote on certain aspects related to the ministry of Million Praying Moms. And I also have a free gift for you too. Download your free copy of my resource, How to Pray God's Word for Your Children, when you subscribe to the podcast. It's a step-by-step guide for how to get started praying the scriptures for yourself and your family. If you love this podcast, would you help us reach more moms with our message by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts? We sure would appreciate it. Find all the links you need at millionprayingmoms.com. This is Chris Christensen, and back in 2006, I started a simple project, a project to try and introduce more people to the Bible through Bible study called the Bible Study Podcast. It's a simple name and a simple idea. Each week, every week, we study one chapter of the Bible, talk about what it says and what that might mean for us today. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search for the Bible Study Podcast on your favorite podcast app.